Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway for You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. and welcome to a brand new episode of the geek buddies hey. 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 <laughs> all right we're back at it again this week with our main show hopefully you've enjoyed our trailer reaction that we had earlier on monday with me and shannon reacted that mandalorian trailer and also we just did our uh spoiler review for the bad batch episode four with the great laura kelly but we are back with our main show to talk about a number of things here going on in the world of entertainment let's introduce ourselves first i am the outlaw john roca writer producer and host here on the geek buddies i am michael vogel i'm a writer and producer of animated tv shows and movies and this is shannon mcclung i'm a television actor and an animation writer where you can see some of our current work on netflix right now with strawberry shortcake barry in the big city season two also season one they're all on there wow there you go catch up everybody get involved in the world of strawberry shortcake for sure but we've got other things to talk about here today we're gonna get into some trailers we're gonna talk a little bit of news about uh michael jackson biopic with antoine fuqua and we're gonna jump into this article about vfx artists and what's going on and how they're being used in the industry and specifically by marvel studios that was on vulture a few days ago and our main topic we'll be diving into a spoiler review for the last of us this brand new uh, series on HBO Max based on the award-winning, well, award-winning possibly game video game series. It just feels like it's a, it must have been award-winning. It was so well-hyped. And we're going to get into all of it. But first, we want to thank, of course, uh, Carbon Health, who continues to power and sponsor us here on the Geek Buddies. Head on over to CarbonHealth.com. Go get checked out today for any of your healthcare questions, concerns, or needs. Or download the app to have a doc in your pocket. They want to create a healthcare plan that works specifically for you all right the way the show works each of us takes a news topic we bring it up we discuss it amongst ourselves take breaks in between the topics and then we jump into our main topic getting into as i said here the last of us uh all right uh, shannon i think you start us off here with some trailers with trailers 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 so as of this recording this one dropped just a couple hours ago this never happens for us typically what happens is we record a show and about five hours later a huge trailer drops and we don't get to talk about it but that is not the case with this one because this is the second trailer for scream six this is the same creative team behind uh the previous screen uh the directors from ready or not matt bettinelli open and tyler gillett we have our returning cast members jenna ortega uh courtney cox is coming 
coming back. Um, also, Hayden Panettiere from Scream 4. So, yeah, this time the action moves to, to the Big Apple. We get to see a lot of things that we haven't seen in a Scream movie before. We get to see a shrine to Ghostface that looks like sort of a... Uh, twisted version of tony stark's labs with all of these different <laughs> ghost face costumes which i didn't realize they changed that much that you needed that many you get to see ghost face taking on the uh, local new york populace hey what are you doing here ghost face um it was a very very entertaining trailer but i'll throw it over to you guys what did you all think of our second look at scream six mikey what'd you think uh i'm i'm ready i'm bringing it on i will go see every <laughs> scream movie until i'm dead apparently because i love scream um like that that was like my takeaway watching this was i as long as they come up with new ways for ghostface to do things and as long as they have a semblance of there was this is a good reason for somebody to try and like dive into the scream mythology um it i'm in and they've done such a nice job i think look it's not perfect like scream three is scream three but uh, they've done a nice job, I think, particularly with Scream 5 leading into Scream 6 with sort of this new story of always finding a way to get people um, motivated within the bigger DNA of what Scream is. Mm. Like Scream was always about people who were like very self-referential. It's a generation of people who grew up knowing about horror movies. So part of the key to Scream is no one's going to do the stupid shit that everybody did in the 80s when we all watched horror movies because they grew up watching the same things we did. But similarly, on the bad guy side, there's always that, well, we're a little bit smarter than the killers in the movies. We have a little bit of a different motivation. We're a little bit more meta. Uh, and they've done a nice job of carrying that through. So I feel like Scream 5 really breathed a little bit of fresh air into the franchise. Uh, people seemed really keen on it for the most part. It was a lot of fun and a brand new cast of characters. And now they're just carrying that into going uh, into New York City. It was so much fun. I am in. Uh, bring me more Ghostface. Yeah, I mean, I, I really liked it. I thought it's a much more brutal approach. There, There isn't a lot of tongue-in-cheek moments in this trailer, if any, to be honest with you. It seemed a much more darker, more serious approach to this kind of thing. Yeah, we had the Corny Cox line. I think it was the only well, 10 other people have tried this. What's going to make a difference? And you, and you see the person getting taken over or getting killed, possibly, by Ghostface there behind her in the reflection. Uh, and then, of course, we see someone breaking in and possibly killing Courtney Cox, wouldn't that be interesting? Because we are not getting Nev Campbell coming back. But I thought overall the vibe here with Jenna Ortega and Melissa Barrera really taking the lead on this one because she's the one that has this energy or the spirit or what have you that's bringing this around. I like that we're getting a little more of what's being explored here with their storylines that we saw in, a, in a, the fifth installment, as you said there, Mike. And I like that we get a whole new cast of people involved in this. And again, I'm going to stress this. The brutality, the violence here is much more... How can I say this? I don't know. It just feels much different than we've seen before. And I like that. And they, I think they're reading the tea leaves that people are enjoying more brutal horror nowadays. As long as it's done well, they're diving into it a little bit more. And that's where the way this one feels. The New York aspect of it all is interesting because you get the guy who's like walking up. Going, Yo, what's up? Like Mike, uh, like uh, Shannon said, and he gets stabbed. Then homie pulls out the shotgun and we see this uh, approach to it as well. And then we hear the voiceover. I recognize the voice, so I don't know if that's a swerve or not. So I don't know if that's going to be a part. And I've seen the cast list, and I don't know if that's going to be a part of this or not. But the whole shrine makes so much sense, and I wonder where that's going to go. And, of course, you have to be pretty rich to have a shrine like that. So is there going to be a subtle commentary? Because uh, certainly horror films always have a little social commentary to them about the idea of the have and the haves-nots and all of that going on. So 
so much of this was just perfectly up my alley. I like that it's a, ripping away a lot of the comedy and it's just showing you straight brutality uh, in this installment. So I'm in 100 percent. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I was not the biggest fan of that last screen, but I did like it. Like you I, watched I it the horror, was- you watched that horror film. Scream is different. Uh, I mean, okay. I my my I I got numb to Scream after freshman year in Florida State when Vogel nearly gave me a heart attack pretending to be the Scream killer. So so Scream has sort of a has did, a nostalgic. I did, I did Ghostface. I did Ghostface Shannon. I go hey, I Ghostface him. It's not funny. And but, but the thing that I the thing that I thought was fun nowadays, I'm like, I don't remember if this joke has been made in Scream 4 or Scream 5, but the fact that people still have landlines, it's like, man, you're really holding on to that old technology to make this plot device work. Um, look, I mean, the guys who directed Ready or Not, I mean, I'm I'm a I was a big fan of that movie. I mean, that that and Knives Out coming out kind of back to back that year. I was like, these are two oh, yeah, right. really, really uh, fantastic and well done um, thrillers. And so just because of my love of that, I mean, I'll definitely be in for Scream 6. And that one is coming out soon, at March 10th. So yeah. just uh, about six weeks from now. Yeah, it's a and hell of so- a cast. We saw Tony Revolori. You, you mentioned Hayden Panettiere. Of course, Samara Weaving is going to be in this. You mentioned Ready or Not. Dermot Moroni, we saw him in the trailer. So it's an interesting cast for sure of, of people that we've seen before in a number of things. Yeah. What and, is your and bar? Now I'm, that- I'm, hmm? No, go ahead, Vogel. What? I'm curious. Well, I'm curious, like, I was thinking about it, like, because you took me to see Ready or Not. Ready or Not is a horror movie. Ready or Not has a lot of people dying and killed. Where's your bar on, like, what is, what will you or will you not see? Is it, like, yeah. supernatural? Is it, like, yeah, what, what, is the, what is the Shannon McClung, I will, I will go see people kill these people, but I will not see people kill these people? Serial killers in like this don't tend to bother me as much. I I feel like uh, definitely growing up Southern Baptist, anything with the devil kind of kind of gets my hackles raised. I mean, despite again, ready or not, you know the the family having to deal with the devil. Ready or not was was funny. Like there yes. was a lot of, there was a lot of comedy in there. Zombie stuff doesn't really bother me so much as you know we're going to be talking about The Last of Us. Hmm. It's really uh, you know a, a good ghost story will really really unsettle me. Um and, and that you know usually kind of bends towards that that demonic aspect which again guilty southern baptist I'm like oh yes when I go if I do it in a in a movie featuring the devil <laughs> You know, the Lord's not going to have a lot of good stuff to say to oh me when God, I get there. Think, oh, my God. Wow. That is mind-blowing. You think God's going to be like. A lot, that's a lot to unpack. <laughs> what about Megan? Have you gone to see Megan? That's a lot of fun. I no, I mean, uh, my wife does want to go see that. That is something that's something we are planning, planning to go see. Like okay. that looks yeah. just, you know, silly and fun. It's absolutely I mean, fun. Like Get Out, even though uh, Jordan Peele was incredible at ratcheting up the tension in that, I loved Get Out. I was like, right. this is this is such a, a edge of your seat thriller. What about so us? In terms, was that a step too far? Was which us one? A step too far? Us? No, I just didn't think Us was a good movie. Okay, right. <laughs> I, I just couldn't. I just couldn't get get behind the concept. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what other. What other? It's 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 yeah. ghosts. I mean, ghosts really, really ghosts really scare the crap. It's really, okay. it's really Shannon. Step away from me, Satan McClung. That's that's what it really boils down to. It's like you're like just don't, you don't mess. I, I love that you're like I lived a great life, 
I did everything right, but I went to go see The Exorcist in a theater, had a heart attack, and so I'm going to hell. I love, I love oh. that this is the that this is the thought process right. going on in your head. Oh, we're just scratching the surface. <laughs> <laughs> this this would be a treasure trove for a therapist to dive oh. into. <laughs> but Scream Six comes out March 10th, uh, which brings us to our next trailer, which we got to see the teaser. I was really really happy to talk about the teaser, even though it showed no footage from the show, but we get the first real uh, trailer for Shrinking. This is the new Apple Plus series from Bill Lawrence of uh, yeah, Ted Lasso fame, starring Jason Siegel and Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. Um, this this show, I didn't know this, but this is, uh, uh, Bill Lawrence actually took a step back from Ted Lasso. He's still credited, like he's still, I think he was still involved, but uh, Jason Sudeikis really kind of took the creative reins of Ted Lasso season three, so Bill Lawrence could do this show with Jason Siegel. And, uh, you know, your, your basic plot is uh, Jason Siegel's a therapist, he loses his wife, he's having a really hard time dealing with that loss and having to be there for his patients, and he just starts telling sort of the unvarnished truth and how that has an effect on his patients. This, this, uh, anything with Harrison Ford, you know, I'm there for, but I'm also a really big fan of Jason Siegel. I mean, I think he, uh, so many of his movies that he's done from like the, I love you mans, uh, uh, all the way back to like freaks and geeks. I mean, I've always just been a big fan of Jason Siegel. So getting to see these two guys, work together in a show that potentially is not only going to make you laugh, but it's going to make you cry. Um, this, this looks fantastic to me, but I'll throw it over to you gentlemen. What did you think of our second, but really first look at shrinking Mike? Uh, yeah. I mean, look, it definitely has that Ted Lasso vibe. It's exactly what you said. Like this looks like a show that's going to make you laugh and it's going to make you cry. Um, I was a little bit, to- I'm I like, I love the concept of it of like a therapist who's like I'm tired of these people just coming to me every week and just deal like their problems never change they just keep going on this like you know treadmill and I'm going to just jump in front of it and do something that is my peers all say is unethical but it actually has results I love that idea and I think in the show it's going to be fantastic in real life I don't know that that's the best way like I I we have friends who are in therapy uh, like my therapist never tells me what to do. Like she's basically like, she's like the Jason Siegel at the beginning. She's like, how do you feel about that? Well, I think you, maybe you're doing this. Like, I think maybe we should think about this. A therapist who actually tells you what to do in your life is usually a pretty bad therapist. That's probably not the story that we're telling here, but, uh, it looked really, really fun. I, I particularly love seeing Harrison Ford just be grumpy. Like this is, this is what I've realized that, uh, we've gotten to that point in Harrison Ford's career where he is just going to show up wherever he wants to show up. And he's gonna be grumpy. I was just uh, I was just watching 1923 the other day, and I'm like, grumpy Harrison Ford is a great Harrison Ford. He's not yeah. he's not the he's not the young swashbuckling roguish Harrison Ford of the late 70s early 80s. He's not like the Jack Ryan president of the United States Harrison Ford of the 90s. He is just grumpy. He smoked a lot of weed in his life. He doesn't give a fuck, and he's gonna do what he wants to do. And I think this might be my favorite Harrison Ford. <laughs> it's a perfect incarnation for you uh yeah i, li- I liked the trailer um as someone who has been through some pretty intense therapy for a year or for periods of my life um uh the idea of having a therapist like kind of tell you a focus and get frustrated with you and finally tell you what to do there are people who do go to therapy and never really intend to work on their issues 
Let's be real. There are some people who use it as a crutch uh, and uh, have just will never really actually work on their problems and just just keep going back because they've turned their therapy into another extension of their own issues with their lives and never really turn it around. But there are others who do. So the idea of him kind of I hope the series figures out which are the ones that are kind of spinning their wheels on purpose and which are the ones that are not and see if his like being done with everything kind of works in their favor in different ways, you know, case by case basis. But this is also about him and him and his issues and why he became a therapist and what's going on with it. Why is he cracking now? Why is he snapping now? Why is he done with things now? That's what we're exploring here. <clears throat> and certain Bill Lawrence does a great job of kind of laying this stuff down in all of his work in scrubs and Ted Lasso. There are numerous episodes that deal with psychological stuff or mental stuff or issues, past issues, trauma, those kinds of things come up in all of his work and with different types of characters. You know, you mentioned crotchety Harrison Ford, crotchety uh, John McGinley, crotchety the head ball. I forget the actor's name. It was the head of the uh, of Scrubs, uh, the main doctor there. He had a, a lot of crotchety problems as well. And then you see the relationship stuff and how that bleeds into what Zach Braff and, and Donald Faison were doing. So there's stuff there that gets explored in, in, in Ted Lasso as well. So um yeah but i mean it's interesting that bill lawrence stepped away from dead lasso considering some of the stuff that we heard in the background so if this is what comes out of him stepping away from some issues going on there on Ted lasso then i hope this is a damn good series and him putting his wife in krista miller who i've always loved since the drew carey show is a nice element to throw in this of course she was in scrubs as well so yeah i like it this is i'm down to give it a shot we'll see if it's any good but it's nice to see jason siegel start to do a little more things i'm glad apple tv is bringing him back into our lives uh, uh, to be a part of this series uh, as well. Yeah, and Shrinking starts streaming next week on Apple TV, uh, next Friday on the 27th of January, which, speaking of Apple TV, that leads us to our next trailer. Uh, Apple TV has released a bunch of trailers for their upcoming series, and they all look really, really good. There's one that is, not that Shrinking was the geekiest, but there's one that's even less geeky called uh, Dear Edward that's from uh, oh, yeah. Jason Kadams from the producer of Friday Night Lights, which I'm like, I I, I, I was watching that trailer yesterday. My wife came in from the gym, and she she's just like, hey, what's up? And turn around, I'm, I'm just here running down my face I'm like yeah, nothing just watching something from the creator of friday night lights <laughs> but the one we are going to talk about is called hello tomorrow starring billy crudup now this is a trailer this is the type of thing I think the show looks really, really fun and interesting, but it's also the type of idea that I'm like, God bless it. Why didn't why didn't we think of this? But it basically takes place in sort of an alternate universe um, in the 1950s, 1960s. And Billy Crudup plays a lunar uh, timeshare salesman. So just that as a concept, like you get to see this future that never happens. And, you know, we, throughout the trailer, we find out, is this an actual thing? Is he just sort of like a scam artist? But thus far, to me, I think this looks like a really, really fun and interesting series. So, gentlemen, what did you all think of our first look at Hello Tomorrow? Yeah, this is like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross meets the right stuff. So I, I like this combo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's very interesting. Love Billy Crudup. He's the perfect face for something like this. A guy who is, of course, a modern actor, but does have kind of an old 1950s look to him. They've made it work. Hank Azaria, another one as well. So this is really smart casting uh, for these guys uh, involved in this. Then you get Jackie Weaver rolling in here. Of course, for those of you who may remember her from Silver Linings Playbook and other films, what a different approach to her. And Alison Pill really likes seeing Alison Pill in this as well. But the overall story here of, you know, selling these timeshares on the moon, that interaction, he's like, well, what about the aliens? This is my favorite line of the trailer. He's like, yeah, there really aren't any. 
Hopkins. What, what are you talking about? So this is, but then you find out that he is being, the young kid is being pitched some, some, there's something wrong here. There's some kind of mystery. There's something that the young kid's not being told by credit or by Hank Azaria. So what is it? What is the mystery here? What is the lie? So it's going to be fascinating to see how that uh, um, plays out and what they're connecting to in our top in our world that's topical right what are they trying to say about this so i'm very interested to see how that plays out in terms of storylines and the overall point of the series but yeah the look of it is great the the there's a the right amount of humor with the right amount of like uh, tension or nerves in this one the costume the look of it all is fantastic so I, i'm 100 on board on this one I, I wasn't sure about this one the trailer really won me over so i'm down to watch it what do you think mikey i mean I think that there's no timeshares on the moon. I think that's the lie. That's that's my that's my assumption. I thought, like when I watched the trailer, to me that was pretty clear. I was like, oh yeah, this guy's selling a bunch of timeshares, and there's no timeshares on the moon. Um, but I love the vibe of the trailer. I mean, along with Shan, I love the future of yesteryear. Like yeah. there is something about the way that people in the 1950s thought the 90s, early 2000s were going to be. Uh, which was just the fifties with more mo- with, with robots doing shit. Like it, there is this like, <laughs> Oh, it's the, Oh, let's go down to the soda shop and have this robot make us a root beer float. Like you're like, okay, cool. Like there's something about that whole vibe. Like as much as, you know, there, we've talked a lot about this as a society that there is this sort of nostalgia for an era where so mm. many people are like back in the good old days, but for most people who weren't, white cisgender uh, suburbanites that wasn't the best time. But there's this idea that existed back then, this Americana, Norman Rockwell, the future's going to be better, we're all going to fly to the moon, and we're going to have robots do everything, and flying cars and all of it. So taking all of that sort of Americana, the idea of yesteryear, and dropping it in a story, and then saying, hey, everything's not as good as it appears to be, let's scratch below the surface, some shit is fucked up. Like, I think that's super interesting. So, uh, yeah, I'm a lot, like, along with you, Shannon, like, you know, Apple Plus, when it first came out, I think there was a lot of, like, skeptical, all right, well, let's see what you guys are going to do. We're not really sure what this is going to be. And, you know, they didn't come out with a bang the way that Disney Plus did or HBO Max did, but they have just been slowly and steadily doing really, really solid things. I mean, obviously, we've talked about, Shannon, you and I have talked about For All Mankind, waiting for John to watch it, but, like, one of the better (laughs) shows ever uh as far as i'm concerned and you know they've just and ted lasso obviously is one of their biggest hits but uh yeah severance like they've just been really killing it so uh i'm really excited about both of these shows both shrinking uh and and this one because i really just think that there is a level of quality like they don't knock it out of the park every time but there's a level of quality going on with their shows uh that is different than the Netflix strategy of let's pay people a bunch of money and dump as many things as possible on our streaming service and see what hits. Yeah. I mean, when they first came out, I remember cause it was when I was still at Collider and they dropped that trailer, that black and white trailer and everything like that. Everyone's like, Oh, it's a bit audacious, a bit pretentious, blah, blah, blah. You know, but I kept saying these guys have money. They have money, like money. They are not in a race with everybody else. They are going to go at their own pace they are Apple. They do not need to go at the same pace as Netflix or Prime Video. They are going to figure this out, and God help the world when they figure it out. And certainly the last three, four years of the shows that we've gotten, 
you could argue that they've really figured it out and they were the first streaming service to win an Oscar, which is something Netflix and Prime Video were trying desperately to do for quite some time. And they get the moniker, Apple TV does, because they're attracting really great, fantastic artists in front of and behind the camera to create these shows. And there's sci-fi stuff, you know, Slow Horses, which is a fantastic British stuff. They've got, um, you know, comedies, they've got dramas, they've got all kinds of stuff. And they are, to me, they are demolishing the competition in terms of quality uh, overall. And you can, you can more often than not, and there's even great animation stuff on there. More often than not, you will succeed if you just go and start watching all the Apple TV stuff and documentaries as well. So yeah, great to see another thing be added. If it's a good series, be another feather in their cap and they're accumulating a lot of them for sure. Check yeah. In terms of quality, I would put Apple up there with HBO. Um, like yeah. they, they, they have the same, the same, they, 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 they attract the same sort of pedigree and just in terms of the storytelling, um, it's just, it, 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 it has something consistently, which I feel like, that Netflix's and the Hulu's don't like, and Netflix and Hulu have put out some fantastic series, but I would not say their batting average is as high as, as Apple's yeah. or HBO's. Um, so hello tomorrow is going to be streaming next month on Apple TV starting February 17th. All right. Well, let's take a break here and we'll jump into another topic right after this. Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway For You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. If I were more talented musically, I would have done it like, uh, like, like, like in a minor key to make it sound ominous. Oh man, don't sell wow. yourself short. Sure. Really great job. <laughs> uh, I Michael. know what it's supposed to sound like. I just can't do it. Fair enough. Well, Michael Vogel, you've got our next one. What do we got? Yeah, so Vulture had an article uh, this past week that was pretty fascinating and pretty apt for most of the stuff that we talk about on this show. Um, and that is about visual effects artists in the industry. So, uh, you know, visual effects, I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, are in most of the things that we watch. And with streaming services really kind of like all competing with each other, uh, there's even more content that requires visual effects artists. I mean, we talk about this all the time with most of the Star Wars and Marvel shows on Disney Plus that we don't live in the era of a TV show having a TV budget. There's now an expectation that even when we watch a Marvel show, a Mandalorian, any of these things on TV, that they kind of need to have that feature level quality now. So there is just a ton of content out there that requires visual effects artists. And basically, they're not getting paid what they need to get paid. Um, so Vulture had this really big article just about the industry in general. I mean, by way of example, uh, the average feature length app superhero or sci-fi movie might have like 1,600 visual effects shots. But when you have a 10 hour show on a streaming service, that's like 3,000 visual effects shots. And they're being put on these schedules that are less than a movie schedule, uh, more of a deadline and not getting paid what they need to get paid to do it. Uh, and so they're trying to unionize. And basically what the article really underscores is that even though this is bad everywhere, uh, when visual effects artists are all talking to each other, it's the worst at Marvel. 
Um, so it was a pretty damning article. And, you know, obviously, look, we love Marvel. We want Marvel to have amazing special effects. We debate how She-Hulk looks on Disney Plus when we review the shows. But uh, Marvel seems to be requiring visual effects artists to come in and just having them work crazy hours to meet their deadlines, not paying them what they need to get paid. And when visual effects artists do try and kind of organize and say, what are you getting paid? What am I getting paid? Marvel kind of freaks out about it. Um, you know, visual effects artists are really nervous about getting blacklisted by Marvel because they are one of the biggest games in town. Um, Victoria Alonso's name came up a lot as someone that a lot of visual effects artists are really afraid to piss off. And it really just boils down to the fact that uh, there was this great statistic that, you know, I mean, look, modern day special effects uh, basically started with Star Wars. I mean, if you haven't watched the Industrial Light and Magic documentary on Disney+, Plus. You should absolutely check it out. It's pretty fascinating. But it basically talks about in 1977 when George Lucas wanted to make Star Wars, what he wanted to do didn't exist. You couldn't make that movie. And he brought a bunch of people in and they all fucked around and smoked a lot of weed and made uh, a bunch of special effects happen and basically started to set the bar for what we expect today. And you watch that documentary and you see how visual effects have grown and grown and grown. But in 1977, when Star Wars came out, uh, it said uh, that year, five of the highest grossing movies required visual effects. By 2022, that number has ballooned to around 90% of films in release. So like five films that required special effects to 90% of all films. And that doesn't even get into television. I mean, most of the things that we review uh, with our Apple Plus shows, our Netflix shows, HBO Max, we're about to talk about The Last of Us. You think about any of these shows and we are getting feature quality visual effects done by visual effects artists and they're not unionized. There's no organization around it. So they're basically getting screwed. Uh, and so it's like really, you know, it's one of those things, it's more of a behind the scenes thing than we normally talk about, but it does kind of affect pretty much everything we talk about. So gentlemen, what do you think about all of this? Well, I think from a unionization point of view, I think that's something that clearly needs to happen. Um, you know, when, when we think about visual effects, we do go to the Star Wars, we go to the superhero movies. Um, but now visual effects are being implemented in a way that they never have before. Because if you want to tell a story that's set in 1971 in Alabama, you might be able to go to Alabama and shoot, but it's not going to look like 1971. So when you think about a show like Mindhunter on Netflix, mm. like the amount of visual effects that went into that, that the audience would not know unless it is being, you know, sat right in front of them and shown to them, like, this is what we did here. This is how we got, this is how we made this building look old and decrepit. This is how we were able to make the, you know, this, this field uh, um, look perfectly green when, you know, there's, you know, uh, radio towers everywhere. Um, visual effects are such an important part of storytelling. And it's not just, again, it's not just for, the big budget action spectacle movies, they're being used for dramas yeah. and seeing how vital their contributions are. It's time that those artists are, um, are compensated for that. Um, you know, we were discussing off mic, I think last night about the way residuals work now yeah. in, in film and television actors, directors, writers, a lot of those folks get residuals. So anytime you're, what do you have there? What know, tin right? cup are you like, using? Things right are now? falling. There's things falling all over the place over here. It's a disaster over here, guys. It's like, is that a mining camp you're in right now? <laughs> Don't you worry about it. But uh, the way residuals work 
is you know when you're when you're say for acting you are you are paid for a shoot you're paid for the one day one week three weeks you get paid you know that sort of lump sum um outside you know outside of like any overtime which which can be accrued um anytime that that is shown on television as a television series um you get paid you get you get residuals you get residual income um now visual effects artists because they're not unionized they don't get any of that now i don't know i, I don't believe hair and makeup gets it i don't believe crew gets it i could be i could be incorrect and if any any of our audience members um do happen to do any of these jobs please feel free to correct me um but it, the way that visual effects have been um required now it seems like something you know something in terms of like a residual structure needs to be applied to them or they just need to uh not be asked to deliver to, to deliver a final product uh, on a schedule that's just impossible to do um you see how successful some of these films and series are um you know the studio the stars they're getting a lot of that money it, it's time that they that they compensate their artists fairly that's the nasty little truth of Hollywood is that a lot of these studios absolutely look at below the line talent, uh, talent as below them and therefore treat them in certain ways that are, uh, would be normally offensive. I mean, they're making all these movies about uplifting everybody and we should all be equal and all the strive for these kinds of things. But behind the scenes, they're fucking over large groups of people with the way they treat them. And it's no surprise that Victoria Alonso didn't want to chime in on this, didn't want to drop a comment. She's out here crowing about, oh, we've got people of color leading our stuff. We've got first, uh, you know, LGBTQ stuff. Oh, this is great. But behind the scenes, you're screwing over so many people. So this kind of this kind of selective uh, approach or compartmentalizing to me is always fascinating. And when people say, you know, oh, it's a liberal town, it's nowhere near as liberal as you fucking think, for sure. Because one of the things they try to do is absolutely screw a lot of people over. Uh, well, maybe it's liberal in the way they screw a lot of people over, no matter what color or or uh, sexual orientation you have. If you're a VFX person and they can take advantage of you, they will. And all these people crowing about Jeff Bezos trying to bust up unions in Amazon. Just wait till VFX started to start to put together a union. Watch how many studios try to find a way to insidiously stop that from happening. So this is an article that's sad and shocking, but not really surprising to me because of the history of how big studios have treated what they see as worker bees for their overall product so they can make a lot of money. And, you know, sometimes, and we're to blame a little bit, right? I mean, just how some of us don't want to see movies or documentaries about how they kill cows or chickens. We just want to eat our meat. It's something that Kathy Bates said in that uh, Late Shift show, uh, Late Shift movie, uh, to the Jay, to Daniel Roebuck, who's playing Jay Leno. You always enjoy the meat. You don't want to see how I slaughter the cows. This is the truth. We are enjoying all this stuff we're getting from Marvel, but we don't want to pay as much attention to how they are screwing over a lot of the VFX artists and working them to the bone. I mean, some of the stuff I've heard from my own personal friends who have worked on the VFX stuff and like sleeping under desks. This is stuff I knew from QC when I used to do QC back in the 2000s where people would sleep under desks for five hours, then get back on there and QC a game for 12 to 15 hours a day. It's insane how much work goes into these things and we don't think about it. And more attention needs to be paid to this stuff. There need to be numerous articles, interviews, exposés, or nothing's going to change. So while we're sitting here enjoying seven series and five movies from Marvel and phase five and phase six, just think of the cost to people who are working in those jobs for us to be able to watch these things. And we're going to criticize the VFX 
without really understanding how much time constraints, how much demand was put on these people and how much at the end of the thing that the executives signed off on it, right? Like James Conn signing off on this two pages missing from that book in Elf. Like that's that kind of thing. It's like, they're not going to notice. Fuck them, put it out, you know? And this is where we're seeing, this article is fantastic. And shout out to Chris Lee who wrote this thing for diving in deep and breaking all breaking it all down. And you know what? The article came out and there hasn't been much coverage on it at all. It is so frustrating because people just want to enjoy their entertainment. And it's sad. It's sad to see. Well, yeah, I mean, I agree. I agree with most of that. I do think that, uh, you know, I don't know that every studio in the world is just out to like screw over the little guy because they're all evil and twirling mustaches. I mean, the reason that that unions are important. Well, I don't think that Marvel is just like trying to screw the little guy to screw the little guy. I think that the truth of it is like big studios have all these movies and all these movies have a budget and they're going to, and any studio is going to try and get their movie, uh, their budget down as much as they can. And when you don't unionize, when you don't organize, there's nobody that's going to protect you. I mean, the unions and big companies, it's a push and a pull that always needs to exist because you can't pay everybody all the money in the world or no movies get made because everything balloons to be out of control. So you have to have some sort of like, look, this is what you get paid, but you have to treat your workers right. So unions are always going to be like, here's what we need. Here's what we need to get paid. Here's how you need to accommodate us. Here's what we need to survive so that to your point, we're not sleeping under desks for five hours and having no life. But at the same time, there's always going to be budgets. There's always going to be schedules. There's always going to be constraints. So like being on, having been on both sides of it, like having worked as an executive for companies, but then also having like been friends who are artists and writers and are all struggling, uh, you know, you see both sides of it and there is this push or pull. And I think that there's, Look, on the big studio side, they're all sitting over there being like these greedy fucking visual effects artists. Everybody wants to make as much money off of us as they can. And on the visual effects side, you're like, oh, these corporate overlords that just want to screw us and take our art and like just squash us like bugs. And the reality is like nobody's actually evil. Everybody's trying to get shit made. And one person's job is to make it as cheap as possible. And one person's job is to make it as good as possible. Amazing. I couldn't disagree with you more. I could not disagree with you more. I think there are people who are intentionally trying to screw over. In fact, the first two paragraphs of the article state how Marvel purposely underbid for this VFX artist even after he submitted what he worked on for Tenet. And that was on purpose. So someone is making those decisions at Marvel to intentionally underbid and fuck over these people and pay them as little as possible. Maybe it's not evil in the horns coming out, but I think it's certainly massively disrespectful and knowing that you can take advantage of these people because they don't have a union. You're taking advantage of a situation. And to me, that's as close to evil as you get because you're intentionally doing it. It's not accidental, you know, and I think that's where it's, I, but it's, I would but it's, disagree. But, it's, yeah, but you've been in the is, system, so I, I can only speak out of them outside the system. I mean, but using that using that as a specific example, like with that with the visual effects artist from Tenet at the beginning of the article, he said to Marvel, hey, here's what I got paid on Tenet. And they said yeah, that's not what we pay our visual effects artists. This is what we'll pay you. And then he said, no, I don't want to do it. And they said, okay, do you want to work on another movie? And he said, no, you don't pay enough money. That's how it works. Like Marvel can go, oh, let's fuck this guy over. Let's like, let's, let's, let's show him who's boss here. There's someone at Marvel on the finance side. You have these giant finance meetings where you go through budgets and you go like, okay, how much are we paying our voiceover actors? How much are we paying these people? How much are we paying these people? And look, the, the truth is that Marvel's not paying their visual effects artists enough money given the amount of work that they do and how important what they do is for 
uh, the Marvel movies, but yeah. it is not a, uh, it is not a, let's fuck these guys. It's, they're trying to just get a bottom line. Like even as big and expensive as Marvel movies are and as, and as much money as they make, everything in the world has a budget. Everything in the world has a schedule. Everything yeah. in the world has like dates. So it is, uh, and again, I, I, I sit in a very different place because I've been on both sides of it. I've been in those meetings on animated TV shows, animated movies, where I'm saying like, ah, we should probably give people some more time in the schedule or I've been on shows right now. I, I've been talking about, uh, yo, oh, can we work with this artist? Can we work with this composer? Can we work with this person on this movie? And you're like, ah, yeah, we can't, we can't afford them. We can only pay this much for this thing. Um, so it, it's, there's just a push and pull to it that I thought, I find the foot for the push and pull more fascinating when you really try and like dig under the surface uh, of what everyone is actually trying to accomplish. And I think sometimes... Uh, not always. There's certainly assholes out there, but I think sometimes when you villainize the other side, it makes it harder to see the way out, to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, I, I can say, having worked for Marvel in front of the camera, that historically they are known for being penny pinchers. That they yep. are going to try to pay. <laughs> they are going to pay the bare minimum because of well yeah i mean i agree with you. <laughs> because of, of disney though let's be real marvel is an extension of disney disney has been doing this for decades penny pinching cutting uh per, you know willfully turning a blind eye to paying what they should pay for people just so they can make their money but they'll pay their executives millions of dollars in windfalls and bonuses and all this kind of shit and it's like come on man you can disperse this money a little bit better Everybody can be happy, but the business model in these a lot of these big companies, I, corporations, I think is completely unfair to the people in the lower rung. Having been someone in the lower rung and seeing that kind of stuff, it is super frustrating. Well, and just to push back on the Disney for just a second, I mean, you don't hear about this coming out of Lucasfilm. Like, like that's not to say that it doesn't happen because obviously they don't put they don't have as much output as Marvel does. But the other the other aspects to Disney production, um, you you don't hear these you you don't hear these stories and and maybe that is just because of the you amount don't hear of you're right about that yeah yeah you don't hear about you don't hear from pixar you don't hear from just disney studios um and, and this uh marvel's uh uh cheapness um this this predates the sale to disney like this is something that has been that that yeah. is known for, for a while it's just now because they do so much it's becoming much more well known yeah i think that's what it is shannon you're absolutely right it's that they're doing so much more than star wars or pixar or disney animation per year their demand for the, and the need for vfx is just astronomical right now so you and michael look you might be right that this is like uncharted territory with this amount of vfx needed for one particular studio to put out their content so therefore there it's a it's a bigger light being shined on them and maybe they need to figure this out because mm -hmm. and hopefully articles like this will make people come to the table and figure this out and be a little more fair. Yeah. And I mean, just really quickly, because I know we've talked about this for a minute, but, but the other thing that I think Marvel is kind of guilty of, to your point of Marvel being the most egregious is we love to talk about how they shoot their movies and Part of their process is the reshoots. Kevin Feige comes out and says, yeah. you know, part of our process is we shoot the movie, we see what's working, we see what's not working. And then if we need to go back and make a bunch of changes, when you hear that we are doing Multiverse of Madness reshoots or Thor Love and Thunder reshoots or Wakanda Forever reshoots, it's that's part of our process. And that's great. What they're not telling you is a bunch of people 
did a bunch of VFX shots for the version that you had. You watched those VFX shots and you said, no, we don't like this. Let's change everything. And then they have to go do a bunch more VFX shots. So again, like when you have VFX as this integral a part of your creation and I, and look, the article is very clear that this is something that is industry wide. Everyone in the industry is guilty of, uh, underbidding VFX houses, like trying to get them for as cheap as possible. And there's a lot, and there's a lot of VFX houses out there that are all trying to bid. So uh, they're all trying to underbid each other as well to get the jobs. But at the end of the day, Marvel, Marvel on the whole is the one who is the most egregious, mainly just because of the amount of visual effects and the sheer amount of what they're doing. Yeah, you make an excellent point, though, about the other. Yeah, because having been at a QC house myself for five years, the amount of bidding that they do to underbid bleeds down to what they pay the workers and what they expect from the workers. So, yeah, I've seen that happen multiple times as well, and that's that's an ugly side of this whole thing as well. So, yeah, I'm, hopefully there's some changes coming because these – the things that we enjoy, um, you know, we shouldn't be, they shouldn't come at the cost of these people in their lives and their livelihood because a lot, that industry also suffers a lot of mental health issues, burnout issues, those kinds of things, health, overall health issues as well. So that's something that should be hopefully mitigated as this goes forward for sure. And, and we as a populace need to chill out on the ravenous nature of wanting all of this shit all the time. Going to Comic-Con, they just started shooting two weeks ago. We better get some footage. Calm the fuck down. You know, like, relax. Let this shit come when it comes. Yes, it'll be great, but move on with your lives if you don't get it. It's just, it's amazing how ravenous the people have gotten about this kind of stuff. And we see James Gunn jumping on Twitter all the time to try to address that kind of ravenous stuff as well. So, you know, that's an element of this as well. Uh, anything more to say on this, Mike? No, that's it. Okay, all right, let's take a quick break and we'll jump into our last topic before our main topic right after this. It's the first thing that came to mind. All right, let's get into something possibly a little bit lighter, but I don't know, we'll see. Let's talk about... Antoine Fuqua, this came out uh, yesterday, uh, as we're recording this yesterday, saying that uh, he is going to be directing a Michael Jackson biopic called Michael, just simply Michael. And, uh, you know, Antoine Fuqua, interesting choice to direct this, but someone who has directed uh, music videos, kind of made his name directing music videos, as a lot of people have, Michael Bay, David Fincher, there's a number of great directors who've made their, uh, a great director in my opinion, they made their name as, uh, as uh, you know, music video people. He did a lot of stuff for us, like there was C.C. Peniston stuff, Prince, the most beautiful girl in the world video, uh, Coolio, the Gangster's Paradise. That is all him. So he kind of established himself with a number of these music videos. And here he is stepping stepping in to direct a Michael Jackson biopic. Graham King uh, is producing, who produced Bohemian Rhapsody, along with John Bronca and John McClane. Not that John McClane. And the, the and they are working with the Michael Jackson estate. That's an interesting aspect of this. And John Logan, who penned Gladiator and The Aviator, is writing the script. So, gentlemen, thoughts on this idea, considering the controversial nature of Michael Jackson and some of these accusations, but he's but Foucault will be working with the estate. What do you expect we're going to get from this biopic? Well, I mean. Antoine Fuqua has directed some great movies. Hmm. He's also directed some others that were not so great. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, 
Emancipation, uh, his most recent, uh, you know, film with with Will Smith that was on Apple. Um, I, I thought I thought it was a really well done film. I think Will Smith probably oversold it a little bit um, in terms of its lack of awards recognition solely being credited to him and, and what happened last year at the Oscars. Um, yeah, it, I think it just kind of depends on which Antoine Fuqua you get. Do you get Training Day? Or do you get the Magnificent Seven? Hmm. Um, to the story, that's going to be the more interesting um, aspect to tackle. The fact that they would make a movie about Michael Jackson is not a shock. That this is one of the most influential uh, figures in in pop music. Um, but going uh, going down the road of what happened towards the the latter part of his life. I mean, he he had a lot of scandal. Um, I don't know if anything definitively has has ever come out and it seems like it won't with his with his passing um there 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 seems to be a lot of folks uh who who have a particular opinion uh about what he what he was alleged to have done so will they tackle that i don't know i mean is it just going to focus on his sort of uh you know the jackson five into his his solo career i don't know i mean it's you know uh Watching Elvis, like Baz Luhrmann had such a unique Baz Luhrmann take on it that we didn't really delve into a lot of the bad stuff of Elvis, Elvis's sure. life. Like he's, yeah. he, he was certainly not an, not an innocent figure and uh, uh, still was a pretty good movie. Uh, because of the recency of Michael Jackson, I don't know. And the fact that a lot of that stuff is still kind of going on with 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 his alleged victims. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's uh, broadly, I think like, yep, totally makes sense. They're going to make a Michael Jackson movie in terms of what they're going to tell because they are working with the estate. Uh, I don't know. It's that it, it's interesting. And um, I'll be curious to see which way they go with it. Yeah, Mike, you've got the Bohemian Rhapsody producers on. I mean, a lot of people complain that movie was kind of a soft approach to the Freddie Mercury story. They didn't really dive too deep into his lifestyle and what he was, what he did, and they felt that it wasn't a fair portrayal. Yet it did lead to an Oscar for Rami Malek and uh, the film being nominated for Best Picture, I believe. So, um, what do you think of when you hear that a Michael Jackson biopic is coming from Antoine Fuqua and he's working with the estate of Michael Jackson? I think music biopics are a bad idea. <laughs> I just overall, <laughs> like I like I like it, it is a. It, 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 I think that like I think musical biopics are fool's gold in Ooh. cinema because okay. you are damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And they all base. So here's the problem: is you try and structure a movie, a, a three act structure movie. You have a beginning where you introduce your character. Your character has a want. You dive into the second act where they deal with a bunch of challenges and a bunch of problems. They reach a low point at the end of the second act. They bounce back. And in the third act, they succeed. They get what they want in a way that you didn't expect. And that's the end of the movie. When you take someone's entire career, and look, it's not that everyone in music is the same, but there are certain things that seem to always come up. You were really talented. Someone discovered you. Things got really busy. You did a lot of drugs. You cheated. (laughs) Shit got weird. And then you either get out of rehab and make a big comeback and that's the end of the movie or you die and that's the end of the movie. But like there is always, and like to Shannon's point, like some some people like Baz Luhrmann come along. I forget who directed um, the Elton John uh, movie that came out. It was Um, extra pleasure. Yep. 
So you find some people that really kind of find a fresh take on it. And like, look, these are people that means so much to us. They Their music inspires our lives. Their personal lives are things that we get obsessed with. Like, so you, I get it. But to the entire issue that we're having here with Michael Jackson is, well, you can tell a lovely movie about Michael Jackson that is very estate approved. He is one of the biggest, most influential people in pop culture, pop music, like just in general, like just in our, in, in Americana, Michael Jackson looms large and you can do the rise of that career, his struggles with his dad, the Jackson five, how he overshadowed them, where he came, how he struggled with some things and was a little bit weird, but like we really loved him and like make that a beautiful story. Or you can tell the story that is here's someone who was so troubled and never really grew up and had this stunted childhood and ended up doing some really fucked up shit. And that he's yes, his music is great. But how do we how do we wash that with what he did behind the scenes? And it's really challenging. How do we feel? Either of those movies is not going to make people happy. Like either one of those is going to be challenging. So um, I just think that to Shannon's point, it's not surprising Michael Jackson is absolutely somebody that is going that there will probably be several movies made about Michael Jackson in the next 20, 30 years. But I think in general, every time I see a trailer for a musical biopic, you watch that trailer, you're like, oh, yeah, Whitney. She means a lot. (laughs) Reba McIntyre, Dolly Parton, like any pick anybody. You're like, yep, I want to see that movie. Oh, and you want to. And then every actor or actress wants to play that person. You know, Jamie Foxx is like, I'm going to be Ray Charles. But then you see the movie, you get to the end, you're like, yeah, okay, that's that's what I thought. Uh, yeah, feels the same. So that's how I feel. I think this is just a bad idea. <laughs> I like the idea, but I mean, Ray tackled his drug abuse. Ray tackled his cheating on his wives. Like that was there. So at least they tackled. They're absolutely. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying that every yeah. biopic uh, tells the tells the happy, fluffy version. There are some right, biopics right. that kind of soft pedal things and don't really dive into stuff. And then there's ones that really dive into it. But even in that example with the Ray Charles of it, it's like you 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 are forced to sort of have this part of their life where they cheated or they did drugs or whatever. And then because you want the movie to be uplifting and this whole thing, then you have to sort of force in this, but then it was all okay. And look how they came back. And the truth is some of them didn't like some of them continue to do shitty things for the rest of their life because they're human beings. So it's the problem with any, um, any biopic you are always going to struggle with, how much do you deal with the real nitty gritty? How much do you tell a beautiful, inspiring story? That's always going to be the case. But with music biopics in particular, and this is just my own subjective bias, music biopics particularly always seem to follow the same format. And it's never, some do better than others, but it's never 100% satisfying. Except maybe Tenacious D, the pick of destiny. I mean, maybe that's one. There's always exceptions. There's always exceptions to the rule. But you make an excellent point, Mike, and certainly one that I've never kind of kind of looked at. This idea of if even if they present the negative stuff, they have to create the redemption arc, or else why are you watching? You know, they they have to make you cheer for this person at some point by the end, or find a way to kind of gloss it over. Yeah, uh, and because like. No, because you, you know what none of us want to do is go see a movie about someone who influenced music and became this huge star. And then at the end of the movie, he like goes into the room with a little boy and closes the door and you're like, credits. Yeah. Like, well, oh, that's creepy as fuck. So like, so like, <laughs> you know, like yeah, who yeah. wants to go see that movie? So like, Not what me. do you do? Like, that's the problem. <laughs> 
Oh, <laughs> but yeah, but there's a lot with Michael, right? And especially if you're working with the estate. Look, the Jackson estate is notorious for being like real uh, uh, hard asses about everything. And certainly the ego of the other Jackson five members who are never as successful as Michael wanting themselves to be portrayed in certain ways. And we see that like that, that Jackson's an American dream. That's actually a damn good TV movie biopic that really explored the darkness involved in that family. I mean, are they going to show Joe beating him with extension cords, which he did all the time to get them on stage? Are they going to show Catherine kind of turning a blind eye to all of it? Are they going to show the jealousy of his brothers as Michael starts to, you know, kind of really, as you said, Michael, overshadow them completely? Are they going to show the situations that he has with the different women in his life and what that sparked? The Lisa Marie Presley, especially after her recent passing, are they going to explore that? And then at the end, all these accusations, of course, of what he did and then his death which is under controversial means with the doctor over prescribing him. You know, this is the thing that will they address all of that or will it be, as you said, a much more safer approach to it so that we feel uplifted by the fact that we had Michael Jackson and his music and he overcame yeah. all this stuff to still produce all this one. And I guarantee you a majority of the populace probably wants to see that movie more than the yeah. movie about this other stuff. Like with Elvis as Shannon brought up, they didn't dive into the fact that Priscilla was 14 fucking years old when they got to like, they didn't, they didn't even, not even they, they, they barely touched on that. You know, they addressed the fact that he might've taken black music, but they addressed it in a way that like BB King was his friend. There was, you know, this, he was raised amongst black people. So obviously that's why he was influenced by it. So they kind of found a way around it, but there's other stuff with Elvis and the drug use and the abuse of the other women that he dated at the time, at those times that could have been addressed. And they didn't because they just wanted to present him as this hero. And so I imagine Michael will go that route as well. And to be fair, I mean, and this is the problem. I mean, again, this is the problem, the challenge, like we don't go to the movies for the same reason that we watch 60 minutes. Like you don't go to the movies to go. I need you. If you're going to do this movie, I need you to hit every single beat and address every single accusation and give me your take on it. And you better do it right. Or I'm going to roast you on Twitter. Like, that's not storytelling. That's right. journalism. Right. So it is always a director and a writer and a filmmaker's prerogative to tell the story they want to tell. And if you're going to the movies to go see a factual account of everything, you're not yeah. going to the movies for the right reason. But these are the choices you have to make. And I and like I said, I think when it comes to any musician, it's a challenge to tell that story. And for exactly all the reasons that you're laying out, I think telling a story about Michael Jackson right now is just a minefield that you are destined to be damned if you do and damned if you don't. Yeah. Shannon, any final words on this? No. All right. <laughs> well, maybe if the ghost of Michael Jackson shows up to you later, you'll have something to say. Oh, my right, God. Well, <laughs> break. And uh, we'll jump into our main topic, which is spoiler review episode, a uh, spoiler review of the first episode of The Last of Us right after this. Is that the... Well, she talks about it. <laughs> yeah, she does. You're right. I, I, don't, I don't know the theme well enough. 
<laughs> All right, well, let's get into this thing here. The Last of Us debuted uh, this past Sunday, uh, uh, episode one, When You're Lost in the Darkness. We got to meet um, uh, Pedro Pascal uh, in, in his role here. We got to meet uh, Tommy, who's Gabriel Luna. That's his brother in this. We got to meet his daughter, who uh, ends up... And this is a spoiler review, everybody. So if you haven't seen it, I guess I should say, you can stop here. Thanks for watching. Take care of yourselves. Be well. Come back when you watch the first episode and finish off this particular Geek Buddies episode, but we get all the story going on here. We get Bella Ramsey being introduced as Ellie. We get uh, Anna Tor being introduced as Tess here, and we find out the whole story of this, or at least the foundation of this whole story, that there were these, uh, that the, you know, for the first, uh, there was this fungal stuff that was teased by John Hanna at the beginning that could be more worse than a virus. We cut to 2003, and we meet, as I said, Gabriel Luna, oh, sorry, uh, uh, um, uh, Pedro, Pedro Pascal, Pascal, Gabriel Luna, uh, and there, and his daughter there, and what happens to her? She gets killed because this fungal outbreak happens in 2003. We cut to 20 years later. Uh, Tommy, that's Gabriel Luna, and uh, us, and uh, Pedro Pascal's character are they're working in this quarantine zone in Boston. He is Pedro Pascal's with uh, Anna Torv's character Tess. There, they've got their relationship going on, and then this character of Ellie is introduced, who has some kind of thing inside of her that may be something. That could turn things around in this world where the fungal uh, um, uh, virus or it's fungal stuff has turned everybody into these zombies that are eating people in essence. So just a fascinating, it's the best I could do everybody on the fly. So it's a, it's a fascinating first episode that I thoroughly, thoroughly loved. I did a review of it. Uh, the, I think the night it came out or the morning it came out and just really, really enjoyed what we got here. So guys, what did you think about this first episode of The Last of Us? Uh, you know, I was really lucky that uh, I want to say the first Last of Us game came out after Uncharted 3. Yeah. And so I was a big fan of uh, Naughty Dog's work on Uncharted. And then when this came out, uh, it was it took a minute. But but everyone had said, like, if you liked Uncharted, you're going to love The Last of Us. So I started playing the game and I did not get that far because it is a very different. Uh, it's a very different story where mm. Uncharted is, you know, Indiana Jones. Um, the Last of Us, it's it is beyond zombie apocalypse, uh, zombie apocalypse game. It's really like human condition. And you see how you see how society has crumbled and it's trying to rebuild itself. And in terms of the action, for me, it was just a little slow. Mm. So I was like, ah, this is not th this is not quite my bag. Cool. Uh, you know, so I'm going to I'm going to hop off. So knowing the beginning of the game, which which the 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 first episode covers, like having sort of a tangential knowledge of it was really helpful. Mm. Um, in terms of the filmmaking, it was just incredibly, incredibly well made. I mean, yeah, Craig, Craig Mazin uh, being the Craig Mazin yeah. from Chernobyl um, did a fantastic job, you know, really, really terrific writer, but just directed just some great classic horror. As Sarah is, you know, looking looking at the movies in the Adler's home, and behind her, the older woman who's in the chair, who is sort of, you know, semi comatose, um, starts to oh have a reaction. I mean, like it is just so well done. And because again, I was watching it, I was watching it with my wife for the first time, and I'm trying to be, you know, the uh, the Rock. Um, 
almost lost it. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, all of the actors as well, like everyone, Pedro Pascal, Bella Ramsey, Gabriel Luna, Anna Torv, who I'm a huge fan of from Fringe and also from uh, Mindhunter. Everyone is just right, doing yes. a really, really good job. And the way it's so interesting, the way filmmakers approach making, you know, making a show, making a film, telling a story. And there's just, they're treating it with such respect. And the, there's just not an inauthentic moment in the story. Like everything just feel, they, feels real. They've done, they've done a terrific job of constructing this, you know, alternative, you know, 2022, 2023, whatever the year's supposed to be. Um, they, they've just done a really, really good job. And, you know, the zombie genre has been going for a while now, you know, thanks to Walking Dead, thanks to, you know, on the lighter side, Zombieland, World War Z, like there have been a lot of zombie, there's been a lot of zombie entertainment. Yeah. And this one just feels at this point, it feels a little different. Like it's a really interesting way to make it seem new in a genre that has some would argue maybe been a little played out. Mm. Uh, so thus far, really enjoying it. Really enjoyed the first episode. Yeah, what do you think, Mike? I mean, there's a, there was a lot of darkness here, a lot of post-apocalyptic stuff. You know, the Joel and Ellie story, which is so legendary from The Last of Us. We get the story beats that are, a lot of people who've played the game. I've never played the game, but a lot of people felt absolutely adhered to what we had gotten in the game. And then we get a little, some some slight changes here with the fireflies, with the military rule of all this, the commentary that the show is making about military rule versus these rebels who want to destroy the military rule and even questioning the rebel, like the fireflies questioning themselves. We've been doing this for 20 years. We're not a rebellion anymore. This idea of this all and what it would be like if this was our post-apocalyptic existence. And then, oh, this character of Ellie being turned into something that could turn this around, you know, like we got in Walking Dead. The, claim, the idea that there could be this cure to the virus somewhere out there has been what drives some of these characters to stay alive. Mm -hmm. What did you think overall coming out of this first episode of The Last of Us? I, you know, I was talking to some friends of ours and, you know, there was kind of a little bit of a reaction from some people of like, well, well, why does, why, why is everybody freaking out about this so much? Like, it's a zombie show. Mm. Like, we've seen this, we've seen this so many times. It's a zombie show. Like, what, what is, uh. Why is everybody why is everybody acting like this is like the next most amazing thing like it's really good but why are they freaking out and I think that the interesting thing about this is you know even when last of us the game came out people loved it uh yeah. you know, Shannon felt it was slow but what a lot of people loved about it was that it took its time and actually told a story it wasn't just here's the setup go shoot zombies that there really was this really well thought out story and I think you know throughout it's changing a little bit but throughout most of uh the past 20-30 years as video games have become more and more a part of our lives and uh and those stories and characters have meant a lot to us most of the adaptations when you get to a movie are pieces of shit mm. like you'll have something yeah. that oh right. oh i love assassin's creed i love uncharted i love this and then you see what gets translated to a movie and you're like i feel like you didn't really respect this game the way that i did i feel like you didn't really do this and i think what last of us is doing is they looked at this game that really thought out these characters thought out these stories and presented a really compelling world and a zombie story that was not something that people people went to go play this game and they're like I've not experienced a zombie story like this. This is a yeah. really well thought out world with these really interesting characters. And then they just said, great, let's actually just take that and do that. Yeah. Like, let's do it. 
Let's spend the money we need to spend. Let's get the cast we need to get. Let's write the shit out of it. But let's not go and say, hey, we're Hollywood. We're smarter. Right. Let's make it better. They're just doing what was the game. And that is kind of amazing. Like, that's what's great about it. Because when you take something like a zombie story, we've seen a thousand zombie stories. From the day, from, from Night of the Living Dead to The Last of Us, we have seen our fair share of zombies on the screen, big and small. And the what makes it good is not that you did something drastically different. What makes it good is the details. And mm-hmm. so with this, telling a story where if you are not familiar with the game, you think you've met our main character for the first 30 minutes, and then she gets shot. Right. And you are gutted because they did such a great job. And this is the writing, the directing, the acting. Like, that relationship between her and Pedro Pascal is so good and you so buy into it and you accept it and you feel it so that when he loses her, you feel it as an audience. So then you cut to 20 years later and we get all the fun, like you said, uh, I mean, not fun for them, but fun for us of this, this militarized zone. You're not allowed to do this. Everyone's trying to survive, but this thing has happened and you see where he is and where he's at in his life and you just feel. And so then when he meets Ellie and you see that this is sort of for him, psychologically, he's coming back to where he was with his daughter. You're like, yeah, I'm in like, I am Mm -hmm. just in. And like that story specifically has not been told in zombie stuff before, you know, that's except in the video game. So I think that, you know, the big takeaway here is if a video game is really, really good, just do that on screen. Don't don't give me the don't give me the Tomb Raider. Don't give me the Uncharted. Like just Ugh. do it right. And that's what yeah. they did. And that's why everybody's freaking out. I think you're right. And I think that's been the you know Chris Stuckman is really great guy on YouTube. He did a video recently about it. Uh, I think a couple of days ago. It's kind of saying like enough with this idea of the video game curse. There have been some good stuff that has happened over the last few years for video game stuff like Sonic and other projects that have adequately addressed the um, the game in a way that works in when they're transferring. And we'll see if Super Mario works. You know, we'll see if that actually ends up being something. We'll see. I'm just saying we'll see. But yeah, but this, and you're getting people involved who love the project. I think you mentioned that too, Shannon. Like Neil Druckmann is the co-creator of this series. So having him involved with Craig Mazin, who is, of course, did fantastic stuff with Chernobyl and other projects, You've got the right brain trust that understands how to tell this story in a way that honors the um, the love people have for the video game, but also transfers transfers it in a way that is connectable for people who've never seen the video or never played the video game, but watched these shows and like these kind of uh, post-apocalyptic shows. And um, I think they've hit the right chord or struck the right balance throughout this entire first episode for sure. And yeah, I mean, what you mentioned, Mike, so, so true. Nico Parker here is Sarah. That is a thankless job for an actor to come in. You have limited amount of screen time. You've got to really establish this relationship with your dad, who of course is played by Pedro Pascal. Joel there, you've got to establish that relationship in 30 minutes. So by the time you die, you understand why this is still something that haunts him and, and uh, persecutes him daily so that when he shows up again 20 years later and he's got all the he's got the gray hair and the grizzled look and the more bitter approach to the world, um, you understand why. And so when he has that moment with the guard at the end, who had been his associate, I wouldn't say a friend, associate. <laughs> associate. Associate. Yeah. You understand why he pummels this guy in such a brutal way. 
if you had seen just that scene in a vacuum, you would think this guy is a villain, not a hero. But because of all this other stuff that's involved and what's going on with him and what this guard was going to do to them, you understand why he's he does the things he does. You kind of sympathize with why he's losing it on a guy like this. And also, the I think the acting from Bella Ramsey, Ellie is not a character that you immediately are like, oh, cool, yes, she's, at least for some people, I would say, She's, you know, she's a, a little too snooty, a little too judgmental, a little too uh, thinks she can handle situations when she can't. But that makes her interesting to watch as an arc and having them be, in essence, on opposite sides and having this be a union of convenience so that he can get her to the other side so that they can get uh, weapons and equipment so they can go after his brother, who he kind of blames uh, Merle Dandridge there, Merle Dandridge's character Marlene, for twisting him around mentally about the situation there in the um, uh, under the rule of Fedra. I think all of that works really well to see the conflicts that could arise in you as a viewer go, oh, I wonder how they're going to play this out. I wonder how they're going to make this work. So it gets you really hooked into this whole situation really, really well. And the music, I think, is fantastic as well in this uh, first episode. I hope that continues uh, throughout but yeah very excited to see what more we're going to get uh shannon anything about the storylines that you uh, that we didn't touch on that you really want to kind of hit on or address i mean it was i think the episode was 75 minutes yeah yeah, 80 yeah. minutes something like that yeah, yeah. um but it never that. they take it it's it's this it's this balancing act that that um H, some hbo shows do really well um as well as some apple shows mm-hmm. is they take their time, but it moves at a bri- at a brisk pace. Like there's no wasted real estate. Like literally everyone you're meeting, especially if you have no you have no knowledge of the story of the game, whatever. Everyone that you're meeting, you're meeting for a purpose. There's mm-hmm. not there's not a wasted moment. And to be able to cover as much ground as they did in that amount of time, you never and and I'm just you know speaking from me personally, like never looking at my watch, never kind of shifting my seat, not looking at my phone. Yeah. Um, that's you know that's a real that's a really commendable effort. And you know to the casting of Pedro Pascal, like what makes him such a compelling leading man is obviously yeah. he, he he's a handsome guy. Is he a supermodel? No, but he's so relatable. Like yeah. aside. From that he's a talented actor just from a visual standpoint he's just a relatable guy that guy that guy you could see that guy in a bar that guy could be your neighbor Mm -hmm. and that along with his talent that's just a quality that can't be taught and you you see that he is a physically capable you know Anator's character talks about how Mm -hmm. the the guy who ripped her off for the battery like he is scared to death of you now look he's not a giant but there is just a quality that he exudes that you know that this guy knows how to handle himself. And I think Vogel really kind of hit it, hit the nail on the head. Mm-hmm. Um, when video games in the past, for the most part, have been adapted, the people that are adapting it don't always understand what made it connect with an yeah. audience initially. And despite the fact that this is the zombie genre, the fungal aspect, I think, is new. Um, but the thing that really made people connect with the game was was the story, was the relationship between Joel and Ellie. And, ver- and, and instead of them trying to put their own spin on it, be like, what, what worked? That relationship, that story. So even though this is in a genre that people are very familiar with, we're going to tell the story that the initial audience fell in love with. And let's see if we can hook even more people in with it. Yeah, Mike, please. Uh, what about the storylines, Mike, and the construction? A... Yeah, well, I think, I mean, kind of along what Shannon was saying, I think that there is this 
ego that goes along with being a creator uh, where you go, well, somebody asked me to adapt this thing, but they're paying me money to adapt it. I better put my spin on it. I'm going to make this about this instead of this. And I'm going to say this instead of this. But like there is a simplicity to storytelling sometimes. And to that point, um, you know, there's there's parts of the story, you know, when they are and, and I thought they were really smart to do this when they are trying to get out of town. And they're in the car yeah. like he picks up his daughter and the three of them are in the truck and they're getting out of town and the camera is kind of in the car and you see the yep. windshield it looks like you're playing a video game it's a yep. cut scene from a video game like it, it like it's very intentionally like you are in it as if you are like you're like that's what they're setting up and not being afraid to say this is this is what this this is where this story came from and we're not trying to pretend that it's not that we're embracing it Right. We are saying that this is what it is, but but by the way, this game is so popular and so well beloved because the story is actually that good. Um, and so I think like allowing them to do that is great. And to Shannon's point, it's really well paced. I mean, you have this yeah. nice opening where you sort of take your time to get to know the characters. It gets a little bit creepy when you see the old woman behind her, like sort of starting to twitch. You know things are going down. And they did a really nice job of the reality of what would happen if everything went to shit. Like, it's yeah. not like everybody, it's not like everybody ran out of the street and said, put on the news right now. You'd be going about your day. You'd go by Starbucks. You'd pick up your dry cleaning. You'd start to notice that there's less people on the street. You're like, what's going on? And so I thought like, just kind of, even though we've seen some version of society has fallen apart in several movies by yeah. making it very personal for her and us seeing it through her perspective. Um, and even like, there's little things that like, are really great from an audience from an audience perspective on like if you don't know the story the fact that she goes to the pawn shop in town and then they're in the truck and she hears that people in town may be where this is and she's starting to get really worried about oh yeah. well it maybe how long do you think you had to be in town and they're setting up this story that oh is she infected is she not infected so that when she all of a sudden just gets shot like, even if you don't know storytelling, as a person watching the show, you're like, you think you're going in one direction, then you go in another direction. So I just think they did such a nice job of really laying stuff out in a way that really made it personal for you. So that even though there's a bunch of shit going on with zombie apocalypses and fungal zombies and what happened and the military taking over and all this stuff, they just kept it a very personal, emotional story. And I think that's why people really responded to it in the video game. And I think that's why people really responded to it when it was on HBO this weekend. Yeah, even that uh, small sequence with the kid who walks in, you know, from uh, the woods or whatever, yeah. and walks in and you think, oh, this, oh, maybe the kid's all right. And you see them zap him and it's probably some some cure for the thing or whatever that they're zapping him with. And they're telling him he can eat all the food he wants. And then you see him in the back of the truck. You know, so, oh, they killed him. Shit. Like it is this level of of yeah. uh, brutal reality and brutal ruthlessness to survive. So yes, Fedra might be like a, a hardcore militaristic, uh, you know, uh, with all these rules, and they're going to mete out judgment like public executions, which I thought was a really interesting interesting thing to see. You might understand the logic because if one of these things gets in here, the entire town can get yeah. absolutely get wiped out within minutes or hours. So. That's the thing that you look at. So yeah, it's gonna it's gonna really test us as viewers as we watch this. And nothing excites me more when you watch a series that makes you question things and also feels 
somewhat topical as we see what what's going on with with COVID over the last three years. So I think it, it, they they struck the right chord throughout this entire first episode for sure. Oh, I one hundred percent think that any story about any kind of viral outbreak and a zombie movie is just the monster version of a viral outbreak. None of us who survived the past three years can ever watch anything that is about anything remotely like this without having like a viscerally personal reaction. Like when I watched station, I read the book station 11 before the pandemic. Oh, yeah. Right. I watched station 11 on <laughs> HBO max post pandemic. And I had to stop it a few times cause I was getting sweaty. I was like, Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> Too real. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I felt about Contagion. I started to watch it again. And I was like, ah, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. Not doing this. <laughs> I, I was telling someone this story the other day. I know we're over, but I'm still going to tell you the story. I okay. realized this. I have a friend who works at some company that has like a small um, office on Santa Monica Boulevard. And it's an office that has a giant home theater in it. And so uh, January, February 2020 – we started doing this weekly movie night where every week we would all go over there and we would have a bunch of food and we'd make popcorn and we would all sit in this big plush theater and we'd watch a bunch of movies. Late February 2020, because we had all heard about there was some stuff going on in China, we thought it was a good idea to watch Outbreak. <laughs> <laughs> and we finished it and we were like, Maybe it, I feel a little weird now. That was a mistake. And like two weeks later, we were all quarantined. I was like, man, I feel like we feel like we cursed ourselves. Like I don't, I don't have the Shannon McClung. I can't go see a movie with the devil in it. But watching Outbreak two weeks before the quarantine, uh, maybe that's on me. Maybe that's on me. That <laughs> helps us all. That helps us all. Uh -oh. All right, well, um, Last of Us continues. Uh, it's I think it's 10 episodes, so another nine episodes are nine. coming up for sure. And uh, so we're it's, definitely what's – that, what's that, Shannon? It's, nine? it's a nine-episode oh, season. Nine. I'm sorry. So there's yeah. eight more to come. So we'll uh, – we I think we've agreed to be reviewing those episodes separately. We just wanted to do this one uh, here attached to our main show as we don't – as we didn't have a really big main topic, and this seemed like the right one to go with for now. So we'll be getting more in-depth in these reviews coming up here so look for those as separate shows from us here as as this uh, series goes along for the next few weeks um and, all right and uh, and one and one thing for the audience if yes. you have played the game through its through its finale <laughs> through if you played both games yeah. um in the comments try not to give spoilers because not everyone has played that game i will i will absolutely delete your comment if i see you put a spoiler in. i will i read these comments ladies and gentlemen so I will absolutely delete the spoiler comment if you make it in the whole thing. I don't mind being ruined. It would suck, but I don't mind it. But I don't want our fans to be ruined who want to kind of enjoy this thing going in purely. Um, all right, there you go. Thank you so much for listening or watching this episode of The Geek Buddies. We appreciate it madly. Shannon, what do we have to tell them? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies, on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung, on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. Satan, stay away from me. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MK Tune. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at the Roca Says. Uh, Mikey? <laughs> Uh, if you like visual effects in movies, support your visual effects artists. If you like musical biopics, do not ask me out on a date. But if you like the Geek Buddies, here is what you can do to help us out. Uh, smash that like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Leave your comments below. Spoiler free for Last of Us. But let us know what you thought of everything we talked about today. If you're listening to us on a podcast. 
podcast, leave us some stars, leave us some comments. It helps us go up in the rankings so more people can find us. And as always, the best thing that you can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, send it to your friends, and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. That's right. And listen, we might have something really special coming from you all. Uh, The three of us are getting together. And if everything works out, we'll be uh, previewing and enjoying the Super Mario Land uh, over at Universal Studios. Uh, And we'll definitely take some videos and pictures. And if I can get enough video compiled, I will put it up as a separate thing this weekend for you all to enjoy our experiences going in and seeing that Super Mario land for the first time there. Uh, All right. Well, thanks so much. It's me, Mario. That's my Chris Pratt impression. That's a good. Oh, boy. Wow. I wonder if he's going to show up in the thing. Anyway, thank you so much. And a big shout out to Carbon Health, of course, who continues to power and sponsor us into 2023. CarbonHealth.com. Go and get checked out today, virtually or in person. 100 plus locations all over the country. 80 plus locations in California alone. Or download the app to have a doc in your pocket for any of those concerns or questions uh, you have on the road. We're all on the go. We've all got stuff going on. So it's nice as though that Carbon Health has an app that you can check out. All right, take care of yourselves. Be well. And we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode of The Geek Buddies. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.